for us to um, to have wisdom, to have knowledge and understanding. So that's why I chose that verse for today. So Mike, you're first. Why did God create us? Hmm. Why did God create us? God created us for his purpose. I mean, we, we just, well, we're in Genesis, and so origins, creation. Uh, I guess we have been created for the purpose of bringing glory to God. And we have been created because we, as human beings, we are the object of his affection. So if the intent of the question, I mean, could God have chosen not to create us? I guess would be the inverse of that. And he could have. So why did he? Because he loves us. We are created out of love. Um, as far as uh, scripture verses, well, we just go back into, into Genesis. Uh, but as it's also premature, or I should, maybe I should say it this way. It would be intellectually arrogant to think that we, within our humanness, can fully understand all of the goings-on or hows and whys of what God's thinking. But we know because of Scripture that he created us because he loves us. Yeah, I mean, the the basic answer to that is what Mike said, is that he created us for his glory. Um, I think that there's some out there who think, okay, well, God, he created us because he wanted to share everything with somebody. But that would be meaning that God was lacking, and God doesn't lack anything. Um, So it's not as though he needed to create us. He didn't have to create us. He was perfectly content (laughs) um, with the Trinity because he had Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together. So he didn't need anyone else to share anything with. Um, So, again, the basic answer is yes, it's for God's glory. Um, and for his own personal purposes. Beyond that, we can't really be 100% sure, um, but that, that to me is an adequate answer as to why. Why did God create us? For, for himself, essentially. Is, is there any follow-up question related to that? Because we, we only have three in here. No, we got a bunch on here, too. Oh. I think so. Okay. God created us in his image. Yes. Yeah. Yes, God created us in his image. And so, I mean, it shows us that we are, we are, ver- we are the highest of created beings, even higher than angels. Um, in Psalms, for example, it says that we are created lower than them for now, but eventually, through the resurrection of Jesus, we actually become higher than the angels. So, even though hum- humans, we think of ourselves as lesser or is not really important, the truth is every person is important and has intrinsic and valuable worth because we're created in his image. Um, but again, as to why he decided to create us in his image or why he decided to create anything at all, only God knows. <laughs> and as time goes on, we'll learn more. But I would say that um, if he were to create a world, it would. the question is, I guess, then what kind of a world would be the most perfect world? And I would say that it would be this world. Otherwise, God would have actualized a different world if one could have been more perfect than this world, which is really interesting because, you know, then that goes into the fall. How does the fall take understand that then? And I would argue that any world in which Jesus Christ comes into is already the most perfect of possible worlds. 
Um, and so we have Jesus Christ, and therefore he is the definition of a perfect world too. Um, and as, as weird as that may sound, it makes sense to me anyway. Um, all righty, so a lot, uh, Isaiah 11.6, the wolf dwell with the lamb. Why do we depict a, a lion with a lamb? Huh, that's a good question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why we depict a lion with a lamb. Um, do you know why we usually say lion and lamb instead of wolf with lamb? Is there another spot where there's a lion? Yeah. Oh, Revelation maybe? There's not? Uh, 11.6. Uh, I'll, I'll just read. The second part of that question, it all goes together on that page, too. Oh, yeah. Isaiah 65:25. Also, the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. So, 65:25 as well. Okay. Well, 11, uh, Isaiah 11, 6. And the, the wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little boy will lead them. Okay, that's um, 11.6, Isaiah. And what was, are you looking up the 65? No, uh, Isaiah 65.25. Isaiah 6524 it will also come to pass that before they call I will answer and while they are still speaking I will hear the wolf and the lamb shall graze together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox and dust shall be the serpent's food they shall do no evil or harm in all my holy mountain says the Lord um, now the lion and the lamb is that what you're looking up I'm still looking now. I didn't find anything. Does anybody else have any answers to this question? <laughs> I know who asked it. Huh? <laughs> you know who asked it. Does that does that maybe come from a song lyric? It does. I mean, is there and is that maybe how it gets into our brain, the lion and the lamb, because of a song. That's probably the case. If I had to go, that happens a lot. <laughs> the lion and the lamb certainly sounds more lyrical and pretty than the lion and the cat. It rolls off your tongue next. So as far as we can really. Yeah. Yeah, or the wolf and the lamb. That's kind of hard to sing. Well, it, the the uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, of course, the the wolf and the fat lamb. <laughs> Or it's the young lion and the fat lean, at least in, in my translation of the American Standard. That's fine. Are, are we done with this one? Yeah, can, can, we, can we be done with this one? <laughs> yep. And, and that, Maybe we're more afraid of lions than wolves. I don't know. Well, that... But that lion and the lamb image comes from the millennial reign period, right? In, in Revelation. Did you look in Revelation to see if it actually says the lion and the lamb? Bear with me. 
Okay, we're not quite done yet. And that also might just be an artist's rendition right. of... It's been depicted so long. It was my question. No. <laughs> Come on, Ellen. <laughs> hey, way to cover for her, Heather. You knew, but didn't give her up. Well, Well, that's what we're trying to find so far and successfully. The wolf and the lamb, lion and the lamb controversy. <laughs> hey, let, let me give you another. Let, let me share with you another, like real world example. Angels. How are angels depicted? In, in. Uh, I'll just say contemporary figurines or anything within uh, society. Angel, angels are pre, pre uh, or are portrayed as being little fat, chubby type of things with with two wings, which is cherubim and seraphim are are way different than that. I mean, um, but you're right. We are vulnerable to, or it just shows how vulnerable we are to mass media. Uh, All right, I give up on this one. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> the, answer is the answer is the lion, the lion and the lamb thing is inaccurate. It's either a wolf and a lamb or a lion and a calf or a fatling. No, you said there's more than one on there. No, we got it. There were a bunch of verses. Oh. So, yeah. This is our last question, then. No, what is the difference between essential and non-essential doctrines? And then, I don't know if this is a two-part question, but... The, uh, I think it's a second question. Okay. What is what is the difference between essential and non-essential doctrines? Hmm. Well, I guess first of all, let's uh, at least ponder or discuss what's a doctrine. And yeah, it, it is a a doctrine is a teaching. <clears throat> so, with that said. I'm not sure that there is any non-essential teachings. <laughs> All right, now. So. Well, no, wait, 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 wait. Okay, now, okay, now, now we're okay. Before we get too far expanded here, I think the, these questions are in context with Baptist polity or Baptist uh, theology. Um. And I guess you could extrapolate that to, you know, more secular or non-Christian things. But as far as what doctrines within the church 
are essential? Are there any that are non-essential? I'm going to say no, there's not any that are non-essential. All right, um, so I think that if we defined essential versus non-essential as teachings that if you were to take away them from the church, then it would cease to be Christianity. Um, so, for example, if you were to say that Jesus did die for our sins, that's a major doctrine of the church that, that everyone across the board believes. Now, maybe a non-essential. Um, rapture. Rapture. The rapture would be a non-essential. Um, you could believe... You could believe in, in, let's say, the atonement of Jesus and not believe in the rapture, and you'd still be a Christian and there wouldn't be any doubts about that. Um, let's say um, communion. Communion's a good one because there's different views of communion. Some hold that you know, it is the physical body and blood of Christ. We don't, but some believe that. Others believe that it's simply a remembrance that it, it, there's nothing to it others believe that there's something spiritual going on and nothing physical but it's still spiritual um and so you have these different beliefs that are technically non-essential but they but i would also argue that in some ways they're essential in the sense that they're still being practiced um would we need to define or more closely define essential for what i would say for okay yeah okay to be uh, an essential doctrine to be a Christian. I mean, there's some there that are non-negotiable. There we go. Let's do that. Let's do that. Non-negotiable. Non-negotiable. Well, again, essential. That's why it's essential because without it, then it would it would be <laughs> you wouldn't have the church. Has to do with that. Has to do with our Christian faith, our our identity. Yes. So is that? I would say essential is a true. Non-essential can cover a wider. Virgin birth. Okay. Now that is essential for the Catholic faith. That's that, that's a non-starter for. Yeah. Okay. So again, we're getting back to defining. Yes. Essential and non-essential. All right. So. Baptist doctrine? Well, let me say, okay, an essential. God exists. That's, ex- that's essential. Um, again, Jesus' atonement, that's essential. Um, I would say that God created the universe. That is, in my mind, that is definitely essential. Um, that from God, morality comes. That's essential. Because if you don't have morality coming from God, then it's relative upon every person, which leads to serious problems. Um, but again, the, the, there's other things, though, that as you continue forward, they're just, they, they don't define whether or not you are a Christian. Those are the especially big ones, especially. Um, I would say the creeds, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, the Constantinople Creed. These are things that every Christian, when you read through them, you're like, yes, this is Christianity. These are the basics of Christianity. Um, and so for those, if you were to take any one of those out of the creeds, for example, you would cease to have something of Christianity. So I would say that, and in regards to the scriptures, um, they help define what those things are. They, the scriptures are the foundational element that tells us what is essential to know 
and maybe some things which aren't essential. For example, I mean, and this is, we're Baptists, but I'm going to throw baptism in there. Um, all right, in, in the scriptures, baptism is mentioned like three times. Three. Um, Christ's atonement is mentioned Genesis through Revelation. <laughs> which, is, which is more important in the end? A teaching about baptism or teaching about atonement? I lean towards atonement. Um, if I'm wrong about baptism, it's not going to destroy my faith. If I'm wrong about the atonement, it's going to destroy my faith. That's just the reality. So that's what is, again, it's essential versus non-essential. And so that's just how I look at it. Mike, you can talk a little bit further. I'm not sure I'm going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no. Well, that's going that's going to be that's going to be question number two that I'm going to let him start on on this sheet. But uh, what? That's not even right. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't affect our eternal destiny. Yeah, it doesn't change. Okay, and maybe maybe that's what we need to clarify. This question was would be what is essential to uh, be secure in your eternal destiny? What is non-essential for your e- eternal destiny? No, I didn't. I didn't say that right either. Because all souls are eternal. They have one of two destinations, either heaven or hell. Huh? Salvation. salvation. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, now I'm completely cross-threaded. That's what I was going to say. We were talking about essential and non-essential. Um, and and, and it, it, it boils down to, well, clarifying our position, our status, our relationship with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Um, Tell you what, there is an essential doctrine, Trinity, even though the word Trinity is not found anywhere in the Scriptures. Um, Wow, these are good questions. We, we, We need to be able to get previews of these so that we can prepare a response. Uh, does anybody else have any comments or questions about essential and non-essential? Say two. Um, oh, and then that happened. Anyway, um, yeah, and, and again, a lot of times what you believe to be an essential doctrine will, in the end, affect the non-essential ones. So if you honestly, truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then you're going to take his words seriously. So then that will affect your view on the scriptures. That'll affect your view on when Jesus says, you know, not a dot, not an iota of the law will pass away until all has been accomplished. That means that you're going to believe what the law says. You're going to understand what it means in light of Jesus. Um, But you have to have a first essential belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in order for that secondary belief to then take firm root. Um, And that's why, you know, it's important to get your essential beliefs firmly entrenched 
And then from them, on the foundations of the scriptures, you then can fill in those other non-essential ones as we're calling them non-essential. Um, so, I mean, there, there, I do think that there are two different subgroups, though, because you could be someone who believes in, in Jesus completely as the Son of God, and then there might be a teaching in there where you differ from the person to your left. You both have the same essential view that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Does that mean one of you is going to hell and one of you isn't because you have a different sub-belief? No, I don't think so. Because the main belief, the core belief, is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. There, there you go. It, it, that is the difference. Yes. Like you said, core beliefs. Yes. That is, that, that's, those, those are the essentials. Without which, again, Christianity would cease to be Christianity. Um, that's, that would be a necessary belief. Um, if you were to not have that belief anymore, are you really a Christian anymore? Yes or no? So let's say that there are multi- multiple gods. That, in my mind, goes against the historical Christian faith, and then you would cease to be a Christian if you believe that there are a plethora of gods, for example. Gods who are equal with the one God, which is why Mormonism is wrong. <laughs> um, or if you believe that Jesus Christ is a created being and not the Son of God. Well, if you believe that he is simply created, then you no longer hold the Christian essential view that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who is begotten of God. Um, these are necessary things. If you, if you were to subtract these things, then again, you're, you're, you don't have a firm foundation there. Well, by any means. If you would subtract those things, then in fact... You don't, you don't have, and you don't have Christian faith, yeah. at least a historical Christian faith. <laughs> Which, anyway, um, so I, I think I've, I think we've beaten that one pretty hard. <laughs> oh, this one I wrote down. I threw this one in there because we had this question at youth group. Um, so the fact that I'm just going to say this right now: the fact that a youth asks this question is significant in my mind because this is a very hard question to answer. How do you know a fact is a fact? How do you know? How can you know? It is repeatable. Mm-hmm. Consistently repeatable. All right. I don't know. I don't know if I, I don't know. I don't think that's necessarily the case because that's also true. I mean, and so, <laughs> well done, Betsy. <laughs> but even then, it's true. I mean, she makes a good point. Um, that's a that's a fair point. The lion, the lamb. The lion, the lamb. Okay, I'm excited now. Um, David has his hand up. I'm a little scared. What do you got, David? <laughs> Pat, you want to pass? Oh, he said, he, she wants to record you, though. Now, now you're, you're going to be on the broadcast. <laughs> okay, this is a fact. Okay. If anything can go wrong, it will go it wrong. That's yeah, that's from a guy named Murphy. Murphy's law. Yeah, but still a fact. <laughs> Um, all right, well, the first, the first problem is that we're dealing with knowledge, right? And the problem is, is how many of you are infinite? I'm really glad nobody is raising their hands. <laughs> um, and that's the first problem, is that we can't know everything. 
we simply cannot know everything. I mean, we, ha- we will always have at least 1% doubt in some capacity. Um, no matter what, there is always a potential that what we know is not true because we don't know everything. We don't know all the lies. We don't know all the truths. We don't know um, 100% of everything, which is why it's important if God exists, then we can at least know truth, but that's a different thing. Um, so we have to start there. We have to start with the fact that we can't know everything 100%. But we can know some things, percentage-wise, really high. Um, for example, I can know that I need air to breathe. Um, I'm pretty certain of that. Every time I've ever had to hold my breath, I get dizzy, and I almost pass out. Um, we can, I mean, granted, could there be a planet where... I don't know, oxygen is substituted and I can breathe there? I don't know. (laughs) That's the problem. I don't know. Um, So how do we know that a fact is a fact? Okay, so first of all, we have to deal with the fact. We dealt with that fact. (laughs) Um, I I know. All right, and so, I mean, this really leads then to, and this is what we kind of talked about at the youth group session, was that it leads to epistemology, which epistemology is the study of how you know. So how do you know what you know? Um, how do you know that right now all of this isn't some machine-generated matrix where everything you are experiencing is in the matrix, really? We can go further. Let's, let's, say that everything that you are, let's say that everything you are experiencing right now is actually the work of some demon and basically is manipulating you to make you see and appear like all of this is happening. How do you know <laughs> that either of those are false? A hundred percent. You can't. You can't. You can't know a hundred percent technically. Um, so you need something or someone who does a not lie and b something that does know everything to tell you things. So if God exists, then we do have a basis for knowledge itself, which is that okay, God knows everything. He doesn't lie. He tells us the truth. So therefore, we can know some things. We can know at least what He's telling us is true, and we can have our faith and trust in Him that He is telling us the truth. Um, and so you have that. You have also the fact that, okay, if humans are created as we are, then it's necessary for us to have two or three things that geared toward truth. For example, we need to be living in an environment in which case our, our ability, our cognitive abilities are proper. So let's say that I start talking to this, this pew like there's a person there. And you are looking at me like, Pastor, there's no person there. Would you assume that my cognitive abilities are right? Or would you think that I have some kind of something going on in my head? If I'm like, hey, Joe, how was your week? Yeah, mine was good. I had to rip up some flooring. Oh, man, you had to paint. That's even worse. Oh, man. So, you know, I mean, obviously you'd be thinking, okay, my, my cognitive abilities aren't right. So we need to have the correct cognitive abilities. That's the first thing, that are aimed toward truth. The second thing is we need to have our abilities that are working in the environment in which they're created for. Um, And so, like, for example, let's say that Mike is transplanted to a world a thousand light years away. And some alien spaceship drops him off. And he's, like, kind of like, okay, I don't know what's going on. So he's wandering through this world, this strange world, and all of a sudden he hears an elephant. And so his immediate thought is... There's an elephant near me. As it turns out on that world, though, that sound that an elephant makes is actually made by their cats. Now, is he, 
he's wrong in his belief because on that planet, it's a cat. If he were on our planet, though, he would, know, he would have a true belief, which is that it is, in fact, an elephant. So where you are located, you have to be living in a world in which your cognitive abilities are correct and also where your world that you're living in is meant for those cognitive abilities. As it turns out, we have that. For example, um, if naturalism were true, you would be only right about everything around you 50% of the time, but we're not. I mean, I look around, I see brown, I see white, I see lights on, I see the fans spinning, I see Bruce sitting here wondering what I'm talking about, I see a clock... I see a clock that's counting down the day. Um, now, if I were, and then I have all these experiences that I'm feeling, you know, right now about, man, this is really hard stuff. Who asks these questions? Oh, yeah, a teenager. Um, you know, and yet I know that I'm not 50% of the time wrong. Because if I were 50% of the time wrong, only one of those fans is actually spinning. But they're both spinning because I can experience that. Um, which means to me that my cognitive abilities are working in the cognitive environment in which they were planned for. And that they're aimed toward truth. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, again, you know, and that's the problem, though, too, with this generation. Because your generation doesn't think about those questions. You don't. You guys have never thought about the idea of what do I know, how do I know that I know is real? You're like, who thinks about that deep in the dead of night? The generation coming after you. Because they don't even know how to know. They don't even know what truth is. They have no clue. What about the unproven? A, yeah. The unproven? Yeah. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. I mean, proof definitely helps to know. Um, it helps to give at least justification for knowledge, absolutely. And that's where, you know, we have our experiences. But again, if they are doubting their own experiences, the generation that asks this kind of questions, they're doubting everything, which is why you have gender, what's it called? There it is, gender neutral type things. They don't even, they have to doubt themselves because they don't know. They have no idea whether or not what they are feeling is true, what is not true. They have no idea if what's in their body is real or not real. They have no idea because they don't understand or know anything. Um, and so it's a really sad thing because, again, your generation would never ask the questions. And that's why you look at them and you're sitting there saying, why are they even asking this? Because you would look at it and say, okay, biologically, male, female, done. That's it. They look at it and say, well, I'm feeling this and it seems more inclined towards a woman. So, therefore, even though I'm biologically a male, I'm actually a female on the inside. And so, therefore, I should probably change my body to appear to what's on the outside, even though that doesn't really matter anymore because it's really about what I'm feeling. So, why change my body at all? But then that leads to even more questions. I mean, it's, that's the generation that we're raising. <laughs> and that's the generation which our kids are coming up under. And that's why we have to spend a lot of time learning <laughs> because those kinds of questions are going to keep on being asked and they're going to keep on not really knowing, which is why you have to have a foundation, which is God. God is the foundation for all knowledge. That's why the Proverbs say that the beginning of all knowledge is fear of the Lord. And when you have that fear of the Lord, then you're able to build all of your knowledge, everything that you could possibly know upon that foundation. And it's great. And I'm very thankful that God exists <laughs> because the, uh, the alternative is a dark, depressing world, a very depressing world. 
And thank God that we're created in his image because that means that we're able to perceive the world around us and we can be amazed at what God has done. Um, if we weren't created in his image, we'd have a lot of problems. <laughs> hey, we're created in his image and we still have a lot of problems because of sin. I mean, and, that, and that's the real foundation and piece of that too is that, you know, it, Paul warns us and, or the scriptures warn us about false beliefs, false philosophies, the itching ears, the, the, the bad teachings that are going to come down generation after generation that we're always going to have to have a defense against. We're always going to have to have a response against. Um, and if we don't have a response, people around us will notice that and they'll start to say, okay, I'm, not, I'm done with Christianity. I have no use for it. Which is why Paul warns us and why the disciples warned us and why Christ warns us about this stuff. <laughs> because they were dealing with their own things. They were dealing with things that we don't deal with anymore because they answered those questions. So, for example, um, you know, what do we do with the law now that we're Christians? Do we go sacrifice lambs? I mean, we're in, Jesus was a Jew. They still practice sacrifice and acts, the Jews that were Christians. Do we continue to sacrifice today? No, we don't. Why don't we sacrifice? Because they dealt with that question in the book of Hebrews which tells us that Jesus Christ's blood is the final sacrifice. So they were dealing with their own issues and their own culture, their own society, which we learn from and we can say, okay, yes, that is necessary now <laughs> because otherwise Mike's going to go have a barbecue. Because um, <laughs> that's, that's what sacrifice really is. If you really look at it, it's just a giant community barbecue um, that alleviates sin. So you, you have... You have that, but then now in our own society, our own culture, we're dealing with new kinds of questions and that we have to just be aware of them. Because, again, when someone asks that kind of a question, you know they're thinking about things, and they are, in my mind, they don't know. They don't know. And so now if you don't give them a response, they're going to continue not knowing. And they're going to continue to wonder what is fact, what is not fact, what is knowledge. In, in a, I wouldn't even say even in a way. This is exactly what we've been dealing with in Sunday school for the last year. As far as uh, if we don't, uh, for those that don't know, the issue of naturalism, Darwinism, as far as that worldview, that philosophy, that that faith compared to God created uh, origins, Christian. Uh, worldview. <clears throat> if we don't have adequate answers to address hard questions, legitimate questions, man, we we we've lost a hundred years. <laughs> we, as far as Christians, we've lost a hundred years from Darwin to now. We're still dealing with the, uh, you know, the teaching of evolution and, well, Darwinism in, 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 uh, in our schools, which perpetuates the philosophy that everything's just a chance. You are just a chance. Hey, teenager, you're, you're just a, a stroke of good luck. That's the only reason why you're here. And, and then that diminishes, that diminishes everything. But before we ramble on too much, I think Jess wanted to say something. Wait, wait. Oh, you're going on the record. You're going on the record, girl. 
upon looking, I discovered that um, it is through Revelations because it says that um, people often associate the lion and lamb with Isaiah eleven six, but it's actually the Revelations five five six. Yes. Revelation 5, 6? Yep. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, and seven horns with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, set out in the earth. So it's pretty much saying that, um, where'd it go? Yes, but it's saying the lion and the lamb both refer to Jesus Christ. He's both the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb who was slain. The lion and the lamb are descriptions of the two aspects of the nature of Christ. That makes sense. Okay, so that that provides at least a a good explanation for where we get the lion and the lamb. Yes. I remember the revelation thing that I put. Betsy wants to throw one more up and then we'll finish. Also, by the way, everything I was saying about, you know, knowledge and everything, that was by a Christian philosopher named Alvin Plantinga. Um, so thank God, <laughs> really thank God, that we have Christian philosophers and Christian theologians and Christian academics who are thinking about that stuff, because we need that. Um, when were angels created? Guardian, angel, Holy Spirit, clarified difference. Well, the Holy Spirit... Yeah, the Holy... Well, the Holy Spirit is is part of the Trinity. He is God. He, he has the same substance as God, as the Father and the Son, um, but different role. Guardian angel is, 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 I mean, that's a thing. I don't know if there is any particular passage about guardian angels. Is there? Well, about the angels will watch over your footsteps or something. That's a yeah. Um, but, how, how, how we how we get angelology out? I mean, I'm I'm no expert in angelology, which is a word. <laughs> it is a word. Can you believe it? Angelology, the study of angels. Congratulations. That's that's what you're gonna remember from today. I don't. I don't make it up. It's angelology. Um, log logi being study, and then angels, obviously angels. Anyway, but uh, it's interesting though because actually too, if you ever look in the studying of ancient Jewish people and their texts. Angelology doesn't really show up until intertestamental period. They're not really thinking about angels until that time. Um, and there's really weird stories in there too. Go ahead, Mike, real quick. Psalm, Psalm 91, 11 and 12. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands lest you strike your foot against the stone. This is the passage where the phrase guardian angels originates. Yeah. I mean, I mean that's that's tricky because then Jesus applies and the devil but it, but the devil and Jesus applies it to Jesus. It's, it's, it's <laughs> to Jesus. Yeah. Not, yeah. It's not lesser being. Yeah. It's actually a reference to to, to yeah. But it's construed as the guardian angel. When were angels created though? They were in my as far as I'm aware, I don't know. I don't know if they were created Day one. Day one. I don't know if they were created before day one and that they were with God. I don't know if they were, if there was a time, I mean, this is when we get into Genesis 1 and how you, how you do it. This is a non-essential. Um, to be honest, it is. It's a non-essential because I, A, as long as you believe, I mean, I believe angels exist. When they came about, I have no idea. 
I know that God uses angels for his purposes, and they are the faithful ones. Um, as far as demons are aware, I believe that demons are fallen angels that have um, rejected God's sovereignty over them. They're moral beings, at least, and I have a few speculations further about what demons are, but I will not get into those. Um, so I don't know. I don't know when they were created. At least by the third day. At least by the third I don't know. I mean, it, they could have been created immediately without us knowing because it's not important for us to know. To be honest, it's really not. Um, Are angels eternal? I would, ar- I would argue that angels are because Jesus says that when... When we get to heaven, when it's asked about marriage, like which which of these which of these sons would this widow marry? Jesus says it's an it's a silly question because you're going to be like the angels. So I would say that angels are in fact eternal, um, but that goes back into what death is, the separation of body and soul. Um, no, they're, but they're, that's a different thing. Because they are created. They're created. They're, yes. So they're not. They didn't. They're they're not like God. They didn't always exist. No, but I mean, they're, they're probably not. In that respect, they aren't. Yeah. I mean, they were created, boom, then they're eternal yeah. from that point on. Yes. But that word eternal has to be clarified. But, but that also gets into an interesting point, is that sometimes we can get so fixated on something like angels that we forget the point, because if angels were very important to us or God really wanted us to know everything that there could be to know about angels, he would have told us. Um, he would have been very specific in telling us, too, that it wasn't just you know, a prophetic word that we can't quite grasp. He would have written you know, Romans chapter 18 that says, angels come from here, and here you go. This is the knowledge you need to know. He doesn't do that, though. So the best we can do is speculate about it and to say, okay, well, it could be this or it could be that, but I'm going to say I don't know 100% certainly. I'm, I'm probably like 50% certain about when they were. They were either created but Day one or by day seven, <laughs> somewhere, somewhere by then. I mean, maybe the, I'm sure the angels know. I'm sure the angels know. So David has a question, comment, concern, critique. Uh, um, in Job, when God is asking Job about where were you when yeah. I laid the foundation for it, and all the what's he say? All the morning stars sang together. Yeah. And, and is that is that is that an angel or is that a description of stars, I don't know. And I know that there's speculation that it's one or it could be both or it could be about it. I don't know. Um, because even the morning star one, that could be portrayed as a king in that text. So I'm very hesitant to nail it. Yeah. But let's, let's say that it's the first time you've ever seen stars and those stars had existed prior to this moment. Every one of them would be a morning star, <laughs> technically speaking. It could be. It could be. I don't know. What is it? Hebrew. I don't know. Because <laughs> this, if I were to answer, that could be how, like, you know, lion and lamb comes about. <laughs> Where, you know, all of a sudden we start having this belief that doesn't actually work. That's why, again, I'm not 100% certain about how to interpret the morning star in that context. Because it could be, it could mean other things than what it means. Because let's say contextually, Job. In that context, it's literally talking about nature. Well, if it's talking about nature, then it seems unlikely that it's talking about spiritual beings. Because in the context of Job, it would be saying more about spiritual beings than just about nature. 
but I don't know. I don't, I don't remember the passage 100% because I haven't memorized Job. What's the verse, Dave? Do you remember? Uh, chapter 1 and 4. I'm just going off. Um, I have a Job 38, 4. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'll, just, I'll read it out loud just so everybody knows what we're talking about. As they're looking, I think we are still in accord, though, that we don't know exactly <laughs> when. But they were created. That's an important thing to know, that they were, in fact, created. All right, let, of course, I'm not reading from a King James Version. Mine is the American Standard Version. 38.4, is that what you said, Jess? That's one of the stars. Okay, verse 38, or chapter 38.4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know? Or who has stretched the line on it? On what word spaces some... Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. I mean, in that, so, I mean, distinction, that context, yeah. Morning stars <laughs> versus sons of God. Yeah. Two categories of. This says angels. For the sons of God, it says. It says morning stars and all the angels shouted for joy. So basically, you could even say that when the stars were created, the angels were already in existence because they were. There to rejoice of the creation of this new thing, which the angels do rejoice over new things because we learn about that later on. I want to say in James or First Peter, where the the angels look on in wonderment over what God has done in oh. salvation. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. They're jealous. They're jealous they're over. Jealous of us. Yeah. Because we get to experience salvation. Yeah. So um. All right. So I hope that answers that question. <laughs> I have again. We have no idea. All right, but um. I don't think there's any more questions. We're a little bit... Of... Oh, okay, Mary. Let me take it. Wait, wait, wait. Got to get you on the record. I get the Williams Sport paper, and this last week there was an article, and there's a group of, I would say they were preteens or teenagers. They say they are neither male or female. They don't feel like they're either male or female, so they wondered what they were. That, that's an illustration of that's a, not. That's an here. So, so basically, Mary's affirming the fact that this generation they don't even know what gender they are, the gender fluidity, um, which is unfortunate because it, it does go back to the fact-value split that we see in society, where their fi- the, the feelings are above the biological, and so therefore their feelings can change and. Because we have a world in which case you can... No, you can never actually change your biology. But, but I also think it comes down to a society's distinctive designated what male and female should feel and do. Yes. Where masculinity and femininity are two... Okay. Femininity is wearing dresses and playing with dolls, and masculinity is playing football and roughhousing. Um, you know, I mean... If let's say a girl, if let's say a girl is growing up in that, but she likes to throw a football, then logically she's going to feel like she she's a male. But why should we assume that a girl can't throw a football? I mean, that's just in my mind that seems silly. Um, that's why instead of focusing on these things that children do, we should say biologically this is what is the foundation for each. And then whenever a boy who is a biological boy does something it is masculine because they are a boy doing it. And then if a girl does it, who is biologically a girl, it is feminine because they are doing it. There can be, there can be intersection there. 
that doesn't make them any less of a biologically boy or girl. It's when we start throwing terms around, like, um, like what I mentioned, or like what Jess is mentioning, that's when you get confusion. And that's when you have a people who are like, okay, well, I feel this, or I want to do this, but boys do that, so therefore I must be more of a boy. See? <laughs> that's our fault. That's not really necessarily their fault. That's us pushing particular ways of how boys and girls are supposed to behave on them. I would argue that a lot of them aren't on drugs. Well, yeah, there are certainly... Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's true, too. And so it's possible that, let's say, if, if they're taking steroids or taking some other form of drug, which is an illegal substance, for example, and it causes us to mess with their, with their mind so that their cognitive abilities are now, which does happen. But that's what, they, that's what the doctors prescribe. A lot of times, you're right. Like the, mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. It, it does. And I mean, and that goes back to, too, uh, again, though, what it's dangerous in a world today because doctors technically now will get sued if they say, no, you're biologically a boy or girl. Because we've allowed this to keep on going as it progresses, which started with the 60s and the sexual revolution and feminism. But that's okay. Some of feminism was good. Some of it was bad. <laughs> Same with masculinity or whatever. Males. Males are good. Males are bad. Females are good. Females are bad. Um, But, I mean, that's, again, when you get to this point in your society when you have no basis or no understanding of what truth is, then it's going to lead to a society further down the line that starts to question all of those things, which is why it's so important for us to train our children, God is the foundation, why we have to train our children about what God wants of us, because otherwise they will go out into the world and then they'll be confused just like everybody else. And, I mean, it is interesting. I guarantee you, no, it's interesting this. <laughs> Sorry. It's interesting, though. There's probably a lot of those kids who went through VBS. A lot of those kids who went through Sunday school. A lot of those kids who went through a lot of what the churches were offering since the 80s, and they're still coming out of it and saying, I don't know who I am. To me, that goes back to what we're discussing in Sunday school. It goes back to the fact that as churches we have failed miserably to train and catechize and show them what it all means and the depth of the worldview of Christianity. By doing this, it also leads to another problem, which is that those same kids who then start adopting these other beliefs about themselves think that they're saved. Because someone at one time at VBS said, oh, well, now you've been baptized and now you've made a profession of faith, so you must be saved. Okay, well, I don't feel like I'm a boy. The little girl says, I'm going to go and change my gender. Heather's <laughs> like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. Biologically, you're correct. Yes. Correct. You can't change genetics and you can't change biology. But... But that's the thing, and that's, and that's where it's encouraged, though, today, is that it's, it's encouraged to go with your feelings rather than what is physically there. Um, 
But again, though, that's my concern about all that, though, is that that's why we need to make sure our children's programs are spot on. We need to make sure that we are doing the absolute best we can to train them in a way that they can go because they're going to go out into school, they're going to go to college eventually, and they're going to experience a lot of weird stuff in college that have nothing to do with the Christian faith. What's going to keep them strong during that time period? It'll be what all of us have been teaching them as they grow. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and, and uh, I want to say in California now, it's it's as low as kindergarten or first grade. They're teaching sex ed. Why? Why are they teaching that stuff to such young children? That's not something that should be on their radars. And then even then, parents can do a pretty decent job if if they know, <laughs> if they want to train their children to train them. Um, so, it, it, yeah, it's a serious problem when even in they're starting to teach these things in schools, but taking out art class and taking out music class and taking out all these other things instead, which is kind of sad to me that they're willing to put so much dedication into these philosophies and how they're supposed to be living their lives, but they're not encouraging children to grow in you know an area that's neutral, <laughs> that any child, boy or girl, could go and paint a picture and it's great. Yet we want to teach them about how they could change genders. It's cool. It's not. It's depressing. And it should sadden us. And it should cause us to action. It should cause us to want to be on school boards. It should cause us to want to be involved in politics. It should cause us to want to be doing the, writing to the editor. Um, if, if they're going to be writing, a, a, to, if Mary's right, and they're writing about this in the local paper, about how they're not sure how they feel, write a response that's loving. Just make sure you're loving. Don't, don't bash them and say, you're stupid. That, say, you know, you're creating an image of God, and God created you in a very unique way. And you, know, you might like things that boys like if you're a girl, and that's okay, and you're still a girl. Write back. Love them. Unfortunately, we're very reactionary. And so if someone does say something like that, we're like, oh, no, they're done. You know, burn them on fire. You can't do that either. So, all right, I have, I have no more to say. I'm good. There you, go. uh, you, you said it all. <laughs> I can't add to that anyway. But it, but but again, it, it, it what what this all does reinforce is, like you said, we we tend to avoid conflicts. Instead, our reaction is boom, like a fire brimstone for you. I'm going over here to the next one. Yes. <laughs> uh, rather than confront a conflict in a loving way, yes. we are quick to, number one, either avoid it yes. altogether yes. Um, or, you know, just cast judgment and avoid it after the judgment. Yeah. And, uh, so, I'll give you an example of, let's say, a future generation that had done this, and that's with homosexuality. Um, Chris is dancing. But, but homosexuality was the same thing where, you know, a lot of people of your generation will say homosexuality is awful. I agree. It leads to really bad lifestyles, and it leads to just – it leads to sin. It is sin. Um, but instead of lovingly going to them and saying, Christ can redeem you of this, there was a lot of, get this person away from me. Um, well, that doesn't do anyone any good in the end. That just leads to, A, people looking at you and saying that you're hypocrites because you've got sins of your own that you're not dealing with. Um, and B, it leads to them not wanting to hear you anymore. 
But there's redemption there, and if we talk about redemption, then we're good. Chris adds is dancing. You don't want to be on the record? Yeah, it's it's like the woman at the well when Jesus was at the well and um, she came and she had like seven husbands and the disciples were like, why are you talking to this heathen woman? And Jesus needed to. Um, the text even describes him needing to go that route because he needed to talk to that woman. Um, or even a, a technically non-biblical, but it is in the Bible. Um, the woman who was brought before Jesus in adultery um, in John where... The woman is, is they're going to stone her. And Jesus says, um, you know, ye without sin cast the first stone. Little known fact, that is not in any of the earliest manuscripts. But it's okay, because it tells, still tells an interesting story. Um, because at the end of it, Jesus doesn't sit there and say, okay, you're free to go, woman who's committed adultery. No, he says, go and sin no more. And so a lot of people focus so much on cast ye the first stone that they forget the end where he says, don't sin anymore. (laughs) He still tells the adulterous woman to not sin. In other words, you can walk up to somebody, you can still love them, and you can still protect them, and you can still say, hey, that's still sin. And that's where we, we need to understand. There's a very interesting balance there that Jesus fulfills perfectly that we can't (laughs) fulfill perfectly, but we try. We have to try. Um, All right, and so that's all I had. You good? Everyone else good? Any other questions, comments, concerns? All right. Sorry, we are getting out of here real late. Thank you all for your wonderful questions, comments, and critiques. Let's pray real quick, and then we'll go to our final hymn. Father, we thank you so much for your wisdom. We thank you for the knowledge that you have given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you that you are a God who loves us. Um, You have loved us so much that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins. And so, Lord, as we continue forward, we ask that we would um, be able to shine your light upon this world, this world which is so full of darkness, and it's always been full of darkness, Lord, and you've reminded